The following is a Podcast 225 production. The movers. The movers. The shakers. The shakers. The people. The people. If it matters to the capital city, the region, and beyond, you'll hear it here. This. This. This is the Clay Young Show. Happy New Year and welcome back to the Clay Young Show podcast here at podcast225.com, iTunes, that's the Apple Podcast app, and the iHeartMedia app. Our guest to start the year is John Cuvion, the force behind JMC Analytics. He is a political guru and strategy, and he and I could drink coffee and talk about politics for probably 36 hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to do that today, though. What's going, what's going on, JC? Happy New Year, brother. Well, thank you, thank you. Just in getting ready for the new year of politics. Well, that's that's where that's where I want to jump right in next week on Monday as we record this. A new governor will be inaugurated. Jeff Landry moves from the attorney general's office to the third floor of the state capitol. What is your expectation for the Landry administration? So, in the short term, what my expectation would be, given that Jeff Landry for the first time in many years is coming into office with not only a perceived mandate, but an overwhelmingly supportive legislature, I would expect that anything that the Republicans had wanted to get done over the last eight years, but Governor Edwards vetoed, those are likely gonna be passed fairly quickly with minimal fuss. Hmm. In the longer term, what the question then becomes is what overarching agenda he has, in other words, are there things he wants to do, say, with the state's tax structure or the infrastructure problems or things like that? But I see that as more of a 2025 and beyond kind of issue. Yeah, you know, you, you talked about him coming in and his agenda. He might be coming in as the strongest governor ever, JC. He's got the House. He's got supermajorities in the House and the Senate. He's got the Speaker of the House, Speaker of the U.S. House, that is, mm-hmm. the House Majority Whip and Steve Scalise. He's got both Republican, both senators, U.S. senators are Republican. Uh, his The con- congressional district that's the largest in the capital region, at least, is Republican. In fact, the majority of the U.S. House seats are Republican. I mean... It, it it feels like a mandate, but it also feels like a lot of pressure. You're right. And, and that mandate does create pressure because a mandate does not mean that voters give you a blank check on 100% of the items. And so the temptation that's easy to fall into is thinking that just because you support it, the voters automatically support it. I see it as more of a pick and choose kind of thing where if it's something relatively simple where there's popular support like issues with crime or let's say there's things related to uh, election fraud that governor edwards had vetoed or things like that that to me would be where he would have an easier go of a mandate than and this is purely hypothetically speaking i'm not suggesting it's on his agenda but if let's pretend he wanted to try to tinker with the homestead exemption like buddy romer wanted to a year ago well, a mandate certainly wouldn't mean carte blanche authority to do that. I, I, I'd like to ask you to, to reconcile some conservative politics with the Louisiana reality. Right. There has been a discussion about 
removing the homestead exemption. I know some people that want to do that. Uh, Some of the taxes on businesses and lowering taxes on some of the more wealthy Louisiana citizen state taxes. And I'd like you to try to reconcile that with the fact that we are a poverty state and so much of what we do is backed by the federal dollars that we have to draw down to stand up so many things for the people of Louisiana. Well, for one thing, with what you just described, which is basically a redistribution of taxation, the moment you bring up the words businesses and wealthy, I can automatically see that as red flag type of words. Not to mention the fact you're talking about trying to have people pay property taxes who perhaps had never paid them before. Right. So those types of things, I think, would be very difficult to do without some sweeteners thrown in. And that's where we run into trouble in politics when the when the sweeteners are thrown in. Uh, you know, let's, let's drill down a little. And incidentally, one example of a sweetener which I thought worked quite well and and unfortunately went under the radar Hmm. you remember a couple years ago when the income tax rate was lowered in exchange for taking away deduct a deduction for federal income taxes which probably few people knew that we even had that was a very painless swap but if you're talking about some kind of a swap that involves people having to pay taxes or more taxes well, I see that as going down to failure, like what happened with the Steli plan a couple of decades ago. A, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. So let's drill down a little bit on mm-hmm. Jeff Landry and his, and his style. We don't know a whole lot about his 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 leadership style. Obviously, the a, the AG's office is not something that Louisianans spend a lot of time thinking about, unless there are high profile incidents. Um, right. Coming into the governor's office, it's a little bit different. What do you know about his leadership style? <coughs> so, to answer your question, I'm going to draw from two different parts of his tenure, and that is the time he was in Congress. Uh, from 2011 to 2013, and the time he was Attorney General, which is 2016 to the present. I would say that he definitely has a conservative worldview. I also think that he has the willingness to cut deals if need be. And one prime example of the cutting deals I'm talking about is you remember when he was running for Attorney General and he ended up in the runoff against Republican, And he cut deals with two of the black Democratic candidates to get their vote, which for a candidate aligned with the Tea Party is not something you would expect ever to be the case. So I could see some kind of deal-making flexibility going on between Governor-to-be Landry and the Black Caucus. So that that kind of yin and yang to me is going to be the interesting aspect of his administration going forward. So you know what? I'm going to agree with you. I I happen to understand, <laughs> being careful here, that there, sure. there absolutely is an interest in finding some kind of common ground because I know that Governor-elect Landry has to understand if you go scorched earth, at least in the first year with policies, completely shutting out the other side, all you create is gridlock. And, and I know that there's some people say you just got to lead, you got to lead, but it's politics. No one right. gets 100 percent of what they want in politics. Right. And politics is basically kind of understanding what the pressure points are of the 144 legislators and realizing when you can move <coughs> excuse me, and when you can't. 
Yeah. In other words, you can't constantly be moving and forward because legislators have their own constituencies to worry about that may or may not be at odds with what the governor wants to do. Let's talk a little bit about going backwards and talk about the state Democratic Party. I yes. thought the performance candidly spoken of the state party and the governor's race was pretty atrocious from whatever the ground game was which was kind of non-existent the lack of smart spend in terms of media to making people understand who sean wilson was dr sean wilson was and is and the inability to get their voters to turn out on election day i don't know what was going on but it was about as bad as i've ever seen I'm of the opinion that Democrats have been in control for so long that, you know, times change. I mean, one of the things which I think they became fatally dependent on was the turnout machine, which means you have to have people willing to fund it, number one. Number two, you have to have an exciting candidate who can bring people to the polls. And number three, finding those candidates who are exciting and so i think on all three counts the democrats fell far short plus there's an aspect of natural political gravity here that is it's much harder to be enthusiastic about a race if you've been in power for eight years than if you're the out party like what the republican party has been agreed with regards to the governorship agreed agreed on all counts and 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 the one caveat or the one nuance i would add john is that mm-hmm. With media and and with with an, a really aggressive media team, you can create the image of anyone. You you can you can take the most mundane personality and make them look energetic just by knowing how to work media, how how your commercials and ads will run. And it just right. didn't seem to inspire anything. But you you make such a great point. After eight years of having been in power, that hunger to get it back is not, or keep it, is not the same as the other side who say they want to get it now. Right. And by the way, the same thing was at play with the Republicans and Democrats back in 2015. Correct. When you had eight years of Governor Jindal. Right. And at the time, the economy was bad, yep. which kind of added to the Democratic hunger. Yep. So like I said, I mean, that's just, to me, a natural part of political gravity. What does it mean to an incoming governor when you have so much authority, not just so much power in terms of your political side of the aisle, not just locally, but on the federal level as well. In terms of what the president well, would well, think? Well, or? well, no, no, well it, because he does have a direct line to Mike Johnson, mm-hmm. the Speaker of the House. He does have a direct line to Steve Scalise, the House Majority Whip. He does have both senators being Republicans, U.S. senators being Republicans. I mean, what right. does that mean in his ability to put Louisiana ahead of other states and opportunities to help the people here? It certainly gives him instant access because... Given, you know, a Republican House Speaker is much more likely to be interested, especially if that governor's from the same state and the same party, that Republican House Speakers can be interested in knowing what concerns that the governor has. So that's kind of an instant uh, access right there. The challenge, however, becomes when you have the president of a different party than the governor, which it seems in Louisiana... We almost typically have a perfect, I guess, out of syncness, so to speak, of, you know, very rarely do we have the governor and the president being from the same party. Right. Uh, I mean, John Bell Edwards got lucky having, you know, uh, Bobby, I mean, uh, Donald, um, 
Joe Biden be president for the last four years of his term, but now Joe Biden's about to have a Republican governor. And so at least in the short term, what helps Jeff is having a Republican House speaker from the same state he could talk to. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's, it's certainly something we're going to go back to. I want to ask this one final question before I can briefly talk with you about local politics. There has been mm-hmm. speculation that former President Trump is coming to the inauguration. And you and I talked about it on TV, by the way. John is in the A Block on the television show that airs at 4.30 on Friday and replays at 2 and 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday. And we talked about this. What does it mean to have Donald Trump at this inauguration? It's certainly kind of good for bragging rights purposes, thinking that you had a former president take time out of his busy day to come down and see you get inaugurated. And I think it's a good visual symbol for your base that, you know, somebody who is very important to the conservative base basically gets to show up and cheer on a new inaugurated governor. So I see it as a good optical kind of move. I don't know. I got mixed emotions about it. It just it, it depends on how it plays out on that day, uh, yeah. be, you know, just because of all it brings with it. So let's let's move locally here a little bit. Next year is going to be an election year for Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom and also the city council. But I want to drill down specifically on the mayor's race. She would be entering her third term, trying to become the third mayor out of the last four to do three terms. Tom Ed McHugh did three. Bobby Simpson only did one term. Kip Holden did three, and now she's vying for her third term. What are her chances? Well, the interesting thing here, there's one factor that benefits her and one factor that hurts her. The factor that benefits her is the fact that ever since, I think it was 2012, when the primary for the mayor's race is in sync with the presidential election, That creates a more Democratic-friendly electorate, which, of course, will help her because I fully expect that Joe Biden will carry East Baton Rouge Parish by a fairly comfortable margin like he did in 2020. The factor that is a challenge for Mayor Broom is if, as is rumored, former State Representative Ted James runs against her, that's a big chunk of the Democratic voter base that can be knocked out from under her And it makes it a race because she has to deal with concerns about the exploding crime rate in Baton Rouge, traffic issues, and things like that. And whenever you're trying to justify a third term, you need to have something to hang your hat on. In Kip's case, I remember he was able to brag about the green light program back when it was a brand new thing. But when you have concerns about crime and people in a sour mood and so forth, I think it's more challenging, especially if you have a fellow Democratic challenger, to try to seek that third term. You know, it, as you say, the the rumor is out there, and he he would be probably the most. I'm I'm, I'm going to be more demonstrative about it. He would be the most challenging opponent she has had in the three times she's had to had to run Bodie white would probably come in second but the demographics of the parish would have just made it hard for Bodie to get in and then in the in her re-election i just didn't think steve carter basically decided to run five minutes before qualifying ended and and i didn't think that there was any other money to run against her if ted gets in he's going to be able to raise money oh absolutely the question then becomes under that scenario 
is if the Republicans attempt to field a top-tier candidate, because yeah. one thing that is a big challenge for Republicans is just the fact that you're going to have a large Democratic vote in the November primary, yep. and that November vote sets the stage for the runoff, yeah. even though in December it will be marginally more Republican of a electorate that will show up than in November. Yeah, and, and you know, there there's a reason she's never lost an election. And and all the years, thirty years or whatever it's been, she's been running. She she knows how to campaign and get people out. And I think right. the the difference is their their styles politically are so different. And you referenced before about the different generations of politics at play here. Yes. And, and it's it's good. And let me let me go back to something else I asked you about when you talked about the state Democratic Party and turnout. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest mechanisms used for minority turnout in the past was the church right and going to the ministers and getting the ministers to turn their congregants out well a lot of the that old guard group of clergy are no longer with us and i don't see the same influencers by the majority of what's left behind do you think that has an impact oh absolutely because if you're talking about this historical network that knew how to turn out the vote that's a lot of institutional knowledge you're talking about that resided in these individuals' heads. And if you don't have a new generation of people to pick up the skills, the Democrats found out the hard way this past fall that absence, absent a turnout apparatus, it's much tougher to get people to turn out. And by the way, black turnout was amongst the worst I've seen since perhaps 2007 or 2004 correct it was it was abysmal and yes you know and it it, you just if that that cannot happen again i just i don't know that it will and i think as you you so greatly (coughs) said the fact that the presidential election is going to be on the ballot there are going to be people turning out to vote against donald trump who i believe will be the nominee more so than voting for joe biden because let's face it there is a lot of unrest about whether or not he should even be running But I think a lot of people are going to come out to vote against Trump. And the other thing that hurts Trump, too, is that even though, by and large, Republican voters are in Trump's corner, you do have some voters, particularly if they are white-collar employees and or well-educated and or connected to the government, who are not friendly to Trump. And you do have more of a predominance of that type of vote in East Baton Rouge Parish. I mean, Donald Trump, both times he ran, underperformed standard Republican percentages in this parish. Yeah, And so that is something that would help the Democrats in other races, at least in the November primary. Well, listen, I kind of, I want to do a part, a part two of this. I've got, I think George Bell is going to be on next week, but by the time we get to the recording phase for the show next week, we will have had the inauguration and we will have had the mayor's state of the city address so uh, let's make some time for next week brother to to, to put the band back together absolutely (laughs) so quickly tell people where they can find you sure so i'm a big fan of social media uh more specifically the the application formerly known as twitter or x yeah where at with at win with jmc is my twitter handle and i love talking about any and all subjects political um, I also occasionally, as time permits, I do have a blog, winwithjmc.com, where occasionally I do post longer articles. So that's kind of the duality of my 
uh, social media presence. Listen, I know a lot of people love it when we do these. Do these. Uh, my friend Leslie Davis is probably glad oh. we finally got back together again to do a political Excellent. political conversation. And we'll be doing it again next week to recap the inauguration and the mayor's state of the city that's going to happen at Rotary next Wednesday. So you've got Monday with the governor-elect, soon-to-be governor, and then the mayor's address on Wednesday. So JC will be back to drop some knowledge. Appreciate you, brother. Have a great weekend. Anytime. You have a good day. All righty. So thank you all for tuning into the show this week, the first of 2024. Got some big things coming this year, big things coming in this quarter, maybe a few things even coming this month that I can't wait to share with you. But until then, I, th- I think George Bell will be on with us to talk about the Alice population and some things happening at Capital Area United Way. And then JC and I will recap the political goings on next week. You guys have a great one. Catch you next time here at podcast225.com. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you're always in the know when audio drops. See ya. Your voice matters. Visit The Clay Young Show at podcast225.com and email The Clay Young Show at clay at podcast225.com.